Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision, a new podcast from KEXP in Seattle, where we tell the stories behind music and art. I'm Emily Fox. Today's show is all about drag queens and gay cowboys. We'll hear about the pushback Drag Queen Storytime for Kids has been having around Seattle. It was quite shocking to show up and see these photos of me that these people have taken from my social media, completely taken out of context, basically saying that I'm an unsafe person to be around children. We'll hear from the masked country singer Orville Peck. I just make what I kind of think of as a country album, and it just happens that, you know, my perspective is one from a gay man. But first, we'll hear about the first openly gay country band that happens to be from Seattle. They're called Lavender Country. Waking up to say hip hip hooray, I'm glad I'm gay. Can't repress my happiness ever since I tried your way. Cause gay time nothing's just begun So come on, let's tumble in the hay Jake Udy has his profile the band's frontman, Patrick Haggerty. Born in 1944, Patrick Haggerty grew up on a dairy farm outside Port Angeles, Washington. He milked cows barefoot. He had ten brothers and sisters and a dad who accepted him for who he was. My father saw what he had on his hands when I was five years old. He saw quite clearly that I was destined to be the biggest sissy in the county, and I was. The point is, my dad's permission to be who I was, to wear bathing twine wigs and go to the Catholic Youth Organization talent show and drag and run for hair cheerleader and wear ballerina outfits all day at the 4-H camp in 1958, my dad gave me permission to do those things. In 1964, Haggerty joined the Peace Corps in India, but two years later, U.S. officials discharged him for homosexual behavior. He credits his own political radicalization to this experience. I went into the Peace Corps being that petty bourgeois, aspirant, middle-of-the-road Democrat, golden child, and I ended up two years later transformed by that experience from petty bourgeois, pretty boy, middle-of-the-road Democrat to screaming Marxist bitch. In 1970, Haggerty went to Cuba to work a stint in sugarcane fields. He studied Che Guevara, Marx, Trotsky, and Lenin. Haggerty moved back to Seattle in the early 70s and marched, protested, and lived with a diverse group of radical artists and activists. Then, in 1973, he released his now infamous self-titled country record, Lavender Country. Haggerty says since the lyrics in the album focused so much on a gay lifestyle, he was sure he would never have a career in country music. Nevertheless, it was a sacrifice he was willing to make. There's nothing left but holes in your weary sexist role. We were all taking those risks. 
that was sort of like the requirement <laughs> to get into the club was you had to risk everything to be out. That was the deal. But Haggerty still got some recognition for the album at the time. In 1974, he was invited to play Seattle's first Pride Festival. I can remember that experience as clearly as the day is long because we were ecstatic that 400 people came out for the Lesbian Gay Pride March in 1974. But it wasn't until 26 years later that Haggerty began to receive real recognition. In 2000, the Journal of Country Music published a well-circulated article that detailed country music's lineage of gay songwriters, and Haggerty was, of course, named prominently among them. But Haggerty mentioned in our interview that the author of the piece was quickly fired after its publication. The article led to some well-earned notoriety, which included a performance at Seattle's Pride Festival in 2000. But, Haggerty says, that show didn't go nearly as well as in 1974. His band was pushed aside, he says, in favor of a more popular performer and had to reduce its set from an hour to only a few minutes. Even in 2000, despite the popular article and despite decades of love for activism and the arts, the pioneering queer cowboy hadn't found his big break. But in 2014, that all changed. A fan decided to put Haggerty's salaciously titled song on YouTube. But your lies can't deceive me and know that you'll leave me right in these sucking tears. And people began listening in droves. So much so that North Carolina's Paradise of Bachelors record label reissued Lavender Country. Haggerty then started touring nationally with his band for the very first time. He started getting interviews with outlets like Rolling Stone. Lavender Country has also been turned into a ballet in San Francisco, and there are rumors of a Hollywood biopic. It's blowing sky high. The front man is finally seeing success since those days of cheerleading tryouts and talent shows. Here's really what happened. Fifty years ago, when we made Lavender Country, the straight white men in the industry were not about to hear Lavender Country. They were way too bigoted, way too homophobic, and most of them way too racist to touch it with a 10-foot pole. I didn't change. Lavender Country didn't change. Those men changed. And this time, they came down on the right side of the line. But above all else, it's Haggerty's courageous concept of love that remains his life's through line. I've been with my husband for 31 years, and you can bet on the fact that I love him. I only hope that I die first because I don't want to deal with what's past him, okay? The second thing that I have to say is that Che, this is a Che Guevara quote. The true revolutionary is motivated by deep feelings of love. And I think that's beautiful. And that kind of revolutionary love is heard in Lavender Country's song, Back in the Closet Again. For Sound and Vision, I'm Jake Udy. I'm back in the closet. Yeah, yeah, it sure
This is Sound and Vision, a new podcast from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Lavender Country was an inspiration for our next guest, Orville Peck. Orville Peck has called himself a gay cowboy. You will never see him without his cowboy hat and mask. His masks are usually leathery with cutouts around his eyes and fringe from the nose down. Orville Peck joins us now. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. So what kind of influence has Lavender Country had on you personally? Uh, Well, when I was, I think, I must have been about 20 or around 20 years old. I was staying in San Francisco at the time and I was in the Castro and I was in this weird little old weird place in the Castro and it's full of, you know, old like gay pulp fiction and kind of uh, just weird kind of gay memorabilia basically and kind of, you know, odd kind of culty stuff. Uh, And I was going through the record bin and they had, you know, like village people records and things like this. And there was a bootleg of the Lavender Country album. I pulled it up and the person that I was with, you know, knew I was a very big country fan and I'd never heard of this. And they were like, oh, you know, you would love that. That's like this gay country album. And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, yeah, that looks cool. And then I, you know, I put it back and I kept kind of like shopping around and then I eventually left and I didn't grab it. <laughs> and then probably like six or seven months later, someone else mentioned it to me and they were like, you got to check this out. And I eventually found a way to hear the album and I was so a really depressed that i hadn't picked up that bootleg at the store and then b i was just so completely blown away that this album existed for so long 
and I, you know, never known about it as a country fan and as a gay man, you know, and a uh, someone loving both of those things. I mean, I already had such a what I thought was a good understanding of you know cult gay musicians and kind of you know I loved like the Germs and uh, the Screamers and like all these kind of gay punk bands and things like this. And uh, I was just completely blown away that it was a, a classic, classic country album you know, kind of with this activist flair, but done through a queer lens and done with such a classic kind of like Hank Williams country sound. I mean, I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever, ever heard. I mean, as we heard in the in the story just before our interview, you know, it took a long time for Lavender Country to really catch on. Like it didn't really have a following for a while. When you first started listening to Lavender Country, was there a certain song or maybe a line or a lyric that really stuck out to you? God, all of them. I mean, they're pretty. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's heard Lavender Country, you know, the lyrics can stand out. I mean, all the songs on that album are, are so special because I think they maintain such an authenticity and and such an obvious sincerity that, you know, Patrick's love for country music and, you know, Patrick likes to talk about growing up and listening to, you know, like Hank Williams and all these people and his genuine love for country music, but with his own perspective. And it's very much the same way I like to look at, you know, what I do. And it's, I'm sure, very much inspired me when I was young to do country music the way I do it, which is, you know, uh, I set out to just basically make songs that are inspired by country musicians like, you know, Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and, you know, people that don't have my, don't necessarily share my perspective, but they're my odes to those musicians, but they're done through my perspective, which is exactly what, you know, Patrick does. And I think it's, it's incredible because there's something so liberating about not having to change the sound or the genre or whatever you want to call it not having to change the structure of an art form that you respect in order to think that it has to fit who you are and what you sing about and it's i think it's actually more empowering to keep that authentic sound and to keep those tropes that inspire you or those moods from the that music that inspires you and do it your way and lavender country wasn't just the first out country band but as as we've been talking about, gay themes came up in their album. Can you can you talk about your new album, Pony, and and some of the the themes that come up in your music? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like any good country album, it's <laughs> I sing about you know a heartbreak, and I sing about you know past relationships of mine that I've had. Uh, um, you know, the majority of those for me have been with men. You know, I think like I kind of said before about. The thing I respect about Patrick, you know, keeping the sincerity of, you know, writing music from who he is and his perspective and, you know, like his music has a very strong tone. I mean, even the lyrics of, you know, of Lavender Country, that album is the tone is very much in keeping of kind of 70s, late 60s America. And the, the, the kind of subject matter is very in keeping with that. And, you know, for me, I think the themes I sing about and the people I sing about, it's 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 very personal stuff to me and it's very you know when i sing about men that i've been with or if i sing about drag queens or i mean it's not because i necessarily have an agenda that i wanted to you know create necessarily a gay country album but i think it's because i 
was able to follow in the footsteps of people like Patrick, where now I just make what I kind of think of as a country album. And it just happens that, you know, my perspective is one from a gay man. Uh, and I think that the only reason I'm, of course, allowed to kind of even do that uh, is, you know, because of bands like Lavender Country or people like Patrick who paved the way for that. That's beautiful. I mean, I, I'm looking at some of your lyrics right now that stick out to me where you have this very, you know, a, a total country cowboy vibe in your album. And you have lines like, see the boys as they walk on by. You have left my mind in the Salt Lake City, met a lot of men who would call me pretty. Left my mind in the Salt Lake City, met a lot of men who call me pretty. You have don't leave, don't cry, you're just another boy caught in the rye. Don't leave, don't cry, you're just another boy caught in the rye. It, it goes on and on. And I'm also curious... When when some people think about uh, country music, they think of white, straight men. But you've said that cowboy culture can be homoerotic. Uh, can you talk more about how you view the culture around country music and how that relates or doesn't to cowboy culture? I mean, you could go to any gay bar on the planet, mm -hmm. and I reckon if you sit around long enough, you're bound to see somebody wearing chaps or somebody wearing a cowboy hat at some point. That kind of culture is no stranger to, you know, gay culture. And I think also there's definitely a lot of homoeroticism in the sense of, you know, men working out on the range and spending long nights. I mean, someone wrote Brokeback Mountain for a reason. I hate to cite that because it sounds like such a poor reference for, you know, uh, uh, what is really people's lives and has been for, you know, the beginning of time. But I think it it's no wonder that that movie came about because or that book originally i guess but uh i just think that cowboy culture is inherently kind of homoerotic you know i mean willie nelson said it best where he was like what did you think all them saddles and boots was about you know <laughs> i think it's amazing that you can look to a band like lavender country and be like yes they did it they helped pave the way for me to do this kind of music but i can also see how many people that may not know who lavender country is they see you on on sub pop records which they might affiliate with more like indie sound not necessarily country music and then they see this masked gay cowboy. And, and you've said in interviews before that sometimes you feel like you're an outlaw. You know, you've moved around a lot when you were a kid, sometimes didn't necessarily feel like you belonged. Do you feel like you're an outlaw playing country music right now? I mean, outside of, of looking up to uh, Lavender Country? Uh, at times, you know, I think the older I've gotten, I think I've, you know, not found strength to fit in but definitely found a lot more power in not fitting in i have felt kind of like an outlaw my whole life in the sense that i've just always felt on the outside of things and i've always felt different and i've always kind of felt a little marginalized i feel very empowered by the country community it's it's funny because i grew up listening to johnny cash and you know i mean all kinds of music but in the country sphere listening to quite I mean, almost entirely a heterosexual viewpoint, uh, most of the time, you know, from a straight white male. And, you know, I never felt outside of that. I grew up 
with a kind of unwavering confidence that I wish I still had these days, to be quite honest with you. But when I was younger, I, I just, I knew I was different, but I never could be told that I was going to be treated different or behave differently. And, you know, even though I've always kind of felt a bit alienated, I made sure to not feel like I couldn't be a part of anything or something couldn't be a part of me. And so I, I never felt outside of country music. And, you know, no one can tell me any different than I'm a country star and I make country music and I'm a part of the country community. And my fans are everything from drag queens to trans people to punk rockers to metal dudes to frat bros. And then I have, you know, like Hank Williams fans who are in their 80s and they come with their wives and they tell me that I sing like Roy Orbison. I mean, I feel embraced by the country community and I think I think it's because my attitude towards it is that I never allowed them not to embrace me and people <laughs> my critics who don't embrace me in that community you know I think the problem lies with them I never let it ever feel like the problem is me that's amazing I'm speaking with Orville Peck and Orville Peck you're affiliated with Sub Pop Records here in Seattle as well as Toronto's Royal Mountain Records and Royal Mountain Records announced this year that they would give $1,500 to each individual musician on their roster for mental health and addiction-related services. And, and this seems amazing. I'm, you know, on this show, Sound and Vision, we, we talk a lot about issues with mental health for musicians, issues with addiction with musicians, especially when people are on the road. Um, it's definitely something that impacts the music industry a lot. So what were your thoughts when you heard that announcement that Royal Mountain Records was was helping fund people to get, you know, services, whether that be therapy or, or whatever, to, to make sure that they're mentally healthy. I mean, I thought it was incredible. I, uh, you know, Menno, who, who runs Royal Mountain, I mean, he is just an incredible guy. And, you know, he has struggled himself with, you know, all kinds of things. And I think he knew as an artist himself that it was you know, unfortunately, as artists, we don't always have the resources to put things like mental health as a priority. So, you know, and we're also constantly in situations uh, surrounded by very casual substance abuse and addiction, and it just starts to become normal. And I think, you know, it's it's been a long time coming. And I think it's surprising that, I mean, it's not surprising to me that, that they are the... F the ones to do it because I know that Menno is someone that cares very passionately about everything he does, but it's surprising to me that they are the first ones to kind of think of this and to actually implement it because, you know, uh, if a label uh, from Toronto, Canada that, you know, they're probably not raking in billions of dollars every year. Uh, and a lot of what they do is, you know, very much a labor of love in a lot of ways. I think if they can provide this for their artists, I think it's time for other labels to step up and do the same. I just think it makes absolutely complete sense. I think they are protecting the artists on their roster and they're providing some sense of security for us, you know, just at least to even open the door for some people. You know, for me, it's never even really been a consideration of mine to take my mental health into consideration in a way that, you know, to go talk to someone or <clears throat> anything like that because it's just never even been an option for me. And, you know, even just the the gesture is is really like uh, you know it's more than just a, a financial gesture it's really opens the door and allows you to kind of sit back and think like you know uh, i should be taking this into account and i should be you know taking care of myself 
That's amazing. In in this article, Pitchfork wrote an article about this, how, you know, Royal Mountain Records is, is helping fund um, – you know, for services for those struggling with, you know, just mental health and addiction. And you and you were quoted in the article as saying, I'm a gay cowboy who wears a mask. There's already so much difficulty trying to survive as an artist these days. Is this a resource that, that you've been able to tap into or feel like you can now? Definitely. I mean, I, I actually haven't literally had the time to do it yet just because I've been touring so much. But I mean, I, I as soon as I get a moment, I absolutely, definitely am going to. I mean, it's really important i mean we have huge stars all around us dropping and people in our community and in the music community in general in the arts in general i mean people you know the opioid crisis or mental health problems i mean the combination of addiction and mental health it's a serious serious problem in 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 this industry you know and it's it has been since the beginning of time and i i I think it's just you know it's to almost 2020 and it's about time labels start looking out for the their clients and the people their artists that they work with you know yeah it's amazing it's it's inspiring too very inspiring so i have to ask what role does the mask play in your life and persona you know it's funny to me the mask is just part of my artistry and part of who i am it's just orville peck is not a persona you know i am just orville peck and the mask is useful in a lot of ways and i think it plays partly an aesthetic way and it's just part of who i am as an artist i have a lot of kind of philosophical thoughts on mask work and mask as a as an art form but that's a that's a very long conversation (laughs) maybe for another day which which we learn you actually studied the art of mask making i did yeah i mean i i studied the jacques lecoq uh mask as a performance and, you know, especially in something called the neutral mask, which is something that a lot of, you know, actors study with and things like that. And it, it basically just works off of the uh, idea that sometimes putting a mask on reveals a lot more than it conceals. I mean, I would actually, you know, encourage people to look into it and research it. It's an extremely fascinating art form. It's actually very telling of who people really are. I've been speaking with Orville Peck. His debut album is called Pony. Orville Peck, thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you so much for having me. It's got an awful bite. It's gonna rise again. Keeping track of everything we lose. Another hole to mend Tell me you can't stay
Cowboys to Drag Queens. Drag Queen Storytime is a series of events that have been happening around the country and around Seattle, but they aren't without controversy. They often happen at libraries. They invite a different drag queen or drag king to come in and just have some fun with kids and read some stories that promote uh, everything that Pride's about. We're also going to read A Tale of Two Mommies. Let's start off with A Tale of Two Daddies, shall we? My name is Cookie Couture. I'm 33 years old from Seattle, Washington. And she's been the subject of attacks from those against these drag queen storytime events. When she read at the Des Moines Public Library, just south of Seattle the other week, she was greeted by a group of protesters holding signs that read, Don't drag our kids into your lifestyle and stop grooming children. I had gotten some advance notice that there was going to be something happening, but it was quite shocking to show up and see these photos of me that these people have taken from my social media, completely taken out of context, basically saying that I'm an unsafe person to be around children, um, which couldn't be farther from the truth. I have four kids of my own that I've adopted. I've been a foster parent for 10 years. I won an award for excellence in foster parenting in 2017. I've done all kinds of different um, kids and youth programs in and out of drag. So it's been real interesting. What did it take for you to get here today? Um, Well, besides 20 pounds of makeup on my face, um, I was getting ready for the event today. Um, As I'm leaving the house, I get a text from someone and out of all of this chaos, like a social media network has been created by queens just to let each other know kind of what's going on keep each other informed about different um things that we hear incidents that may happen anyway uh, i got a notification as i was leaving that there were going to be protesters here today and kind of scrambled a little bit because whereas last time i had almost a week to kind of prepare myself for it i was not anticipating that today thankfully there's no one here right now But uh, my husband came and met me here. The staff here has been great. They brought me right up. And hopefully we don't have any problems. But it has been a wild day, to say the least. (laughs) But for this story, Cookie Couture read at Seattle's Skyview Observatory. It's the top floor of the Columbia Tower, the tallest building in Seattle. Since the Columbia Tower has its own set of security and you need a ticket to take the special elevator to get to the 73rd floor, the protesters were never seen. Instead, at the top of the Columbia Tower, surrounded by windows that give you a 360-degree view of the city, Puget Sound, the Olympic and Cascade Mountains and beyond, about a dozen kids and even more parents and fans gathered around a cookie couture for 30 minutes of story time. If you're ready for a story, clap your hands. If you're ready for a story, clap your hands. 
Kuki Gator grew up in Bellingham and says she wishes she had something like drag queen story time growing up. I think about me growing up, you know, I think all queer people go through a point where they feel a little bit alone and lost and confused. And I think about how my life would have been maybe a little bit different if there was something like a drag queen story time for kids in my community when I was little. And if that was something that my parents were to take me to, um, you know, I, I would have just felt like I had somebody out there, a role model, somebody that was a little bit like me, a little bit weird, but, um, you know, definitely somebody that you, um, yeah, can have as a role model. And it looks like at least one kid has that from Cookie Couture. In the front row of this reading was a 10-year-old named Ethan. He wore a black shirt with the words, Yes, Queen, printed across the front in big rainbow-colored lettering. He watched Cookie Couture attentively and smiled with his big, freckly cheeks. Ethan and Cookie Couture exchanged gifts at the event. Cookie gave Ethan this unicorn horn that looks like one of those tiny birthday hats that you keep it on your head by putting that little elastic string under your chin. Do you love it? Yeah. Aww, and you brought me a gift? And Ethan gave Cookie Couture some fluffy, light purple slippers that actually match the dress she's wearing, along with a paper plate colored with rainbow circles that says, Yes, Cookie, on it. I did it while I was camping. Thank you. I'll eat only my finest meals on it. <laughs> Ethan, uh, how many of these have you been to? Uh, this would be my third. What do you think of them? I really like them because it um, opens people up if they're like hiding they're and they're afraid and they come and you can meet people like you. Do you feel like that? Yeah. Tell me how you feel. I feel pretty good because Cookie's been my mentor for maybe like half a year and I see her at a lot of her shows and she just like brightens up all sorts of people and it's really like, it's amazing what she does. Having Cookie as a mentor, what does that, what does that mean to you? It makes me feel really special because not everybody in the world gets to do something so cool with such an amazing drag queen. And with that... Ethan's mom wiped a little tear from her eye and gave Ethan a big hug. Popping out of her arms was Ethan's big, freckly smile as he wore that unicorn horn at the top of his head. This is Sound and Vision, a new podcast from KEXP. For this week's listener question, we asked people what their pride anthem was and why, and here were just a few of their answers. So my name is Laura, and I live in Ballard, and my pride anthem uh, is Anita Franco's In or Out, and the reason is in 1997, I was working at the Viacom Entertainment Store MTV department, which was kind of a CD store that was MTV themed and we always had videos playing in the background and that video in particular was playing in heavy rotation and uh, I had just come out for the first time as bi earlier that year and I was told you know oh you're not bi you have to be gay and or straight and the uh, song in or out really speaks to the whole uh, non-binary world of, you know, being gay or straight or male or female. It's like 
you know, I, you know, owe my life to the people that I love is a line in there. And that's really what it's all about to me. I'm Jay Howard Boyd. I'm from West Seattle in Washington State. And uh, when I came out in the late 70s, one Pride anthem that really spoke to me was uh, The Sensitive Little Boy by Chris Tanner. He was inspired by some of the uh, political music coming out at the time by Holly Meir and Sweet Honey and the Rock to come up with his own political anthem. What he did was he took a lot of the negative stereotypes and the names that people would be called, uh, especially for young men uh, presenting as gay. And he tried to put it in a, a context where we could reclaim those terms and uh, stereotypes and turn them into something positive. And so it was a little forward thinking. It gave me a lot of encouragement as I was coming out through my own process. I'm the latent homosexual. I'm the closeted queen. I'm the sensitive My name is Representative Drew Hansen. I live in Kitsap County, Washington. Uh, my favorite pride anthem is Freedom by George Michael, mainly because I have a great association with it. My first term in the legislature is 2012, and that's the year that we passed marriage equality in Washington State. And the day after the House of Representatives, where I serve, voted to approve full marriage equality, I was in my office the next morning. It was super early, pitch black outside, uh, I think it was February, and I was listening to the morning show and just kind of cranking through emails and freedom comes on. And I just like sat back from my computer and just paused and took a moment and I mean, I almost started to cry because it was just such a, such a great song to hear at exactly that moment. I was just thanking God for what we did and looking out at the black sky outside my window and just thinking, huh, we really, we really did this now, didn't we? Thanks to everyone who shared their listener story. And hey, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard on this episode, the folks at KEXP would love it if you gave a one-time $20 donation to this podcast. You can do that at kexp.org slash sound. And if you did like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That helps other people know that this podcast exists. 
And as we will wrap up each and every podcast, we will ask a musician or artist why music matters. And here's what Orville Peck had to say about that. That's an easy question for me to answer, actually, because I think the thing I find so exciting these days uh, is with this project, you know, I get to tour uh, all of our so- shows have been sold out and the fan base has been so incredible. And, you know, I've never really experienced that on such a, such an intense level as it, as it seems to be with this project. And um, I think the fact that I can look out in the audience and I can see, you know, a drag queen and a punk rocker and a frat bro and, you know, an, an elderly couple, and they're all kind of standing together singing along to my song i mean the thing i think is incredible is all of those people have one thing in common and that's you know the music that i'm making and they all interpret it differently and they all probably like it for different reasons and they all disagree on a lot of things with each other as people but they have that common thread and you know it sounds corny but i just i think it's just a constant reminder that music and art it just connects people and it brings people together and i think we all know we're in a time at the moment that is, you know, it can be pretty uh, disheartening, you know, turning on the news these days. And it just seems like it just seems like the last few years have been pretty dark. And so I think the fact that that still resonates, maybe even more so during dark times, is is just something really special. And it's a it's a it's more just a, a really comforting reminder i suppose and I, I think that that's what that's what makes music matter that was sound and vision for this week thanks for listening the sun goes down another dreamless night you're right by my side you wake me up you say it's time to ride Strange canyon road, strange look in your eyes You shut them as we fly As we fly Stark hollow town, Carson City
Jam.